finding suitable mental health medications can be a challenge. The GeneSight test may help. Did you know that genetics can play an important role in gaining insight on how a person may respond to various medications? Understanding this may help reduce medication trial and error. GeneSight is a genetic test that analyzes variations in DNA. It shows how genes may affect someone's metabolism or response to medications commonly prescribed to treat depression, anxiety, and other mental health conditions. Visit GeneSight.com for more information. Today's Callahan Show is sponsored by MyPillow. Go to MyPillow.com and use code word JERRY for huge discounts. For example, you can get the standard MyPillow, which is normally $69.98 for only $19.98 with code word JERRY. I'd call that a huge discount. MyPillow is made in the USA, and it comes with a 10-year warranty. It's machine washable and dryable. It's the most comfortable pillow you will ever sleep on. Makes an excellent gift. Get it now. And you can support this show and you can strike back against canceled culture. As you know, like us, Mike Lindell is constantly under attack from the canceled culture mob. By purchasing from MyPillow, not only are you helping this show, you're fighting back against canceled culture. MyPillow isn't in the big box stores anymore, so you can get factory direct pricing if you order from MyPillow.com using code word Jerry. Today's Callahan Show brought to you by DCU. Do you love your carpet? Hate your car payment? No problem. Refinance your car today with DCU and they could help lower your monthly payment, lower your interest rate, or both. Applying is easy and their loan experts will help you find the loan term and the payment that fits into your budget. Get out of that high rate loan and get the interest rate and the payment you deserve from DCU. Learn more and apply today at dcu.org slash refinance. Insured by NCUA membership required. This is The Jerry Callahan Show. Welcome to the Callahan Show. I'm Matt Carano, and this is the week in between Christmas and New Year's. Three shows that we're going to do this week are a collection of interviews that Jerry did from 2021. And we think that this is a great way to look back at some of the, the important topics and stories of the year without doing you know some sort of ridiculous countdown. And we played Jerry's interviews of Je- uh, Jesse Kelly, Janice Dean, and Bobby Burak. And today is Jerry interviewing Kurt Schilling and Buck Sexton. So first up is Jerry with Kurt Schilling on, uh, this comes from the May 5th, 2021 episode, and it covers Kurt's move to Tennessee, his relationship with the media, and also, you know, very interesting and very candid. Kurt talks about his relationship with the Red Sox ownership, his use of painkillers and how the Red Sox ownership were both sort of promoting this use and using it against him as contract leverage. So it's a very interesting interview. Here is Jerry with Kurt Schilling. Joining us now is uh, MLB legend, should be Hall of Famer, a Kurt Schilling, former New Englander. Form, in New, you'll always be like a New England legend, obviously, because of uh, you know the, the World Series and the bloody sock. But you're no longer a New Englander. I want to get to. I want to get a lot of stuff. I want to get to LeBron and MLB and everything else. But first, I have to hear this story. I saw it on Twitter. I mentioned right. one day that you are out of. Yeah, you, you're tired of New England. And you up and moved. You moved to yeah. Tennessee. God bless you. I'm jealous. What's it like, Kirk? Well, it's heaven. Heaven on earth. It, really? it is. It, I, it really is. I, I, you know, I, I had mentioned that that um, uh, the USA Today had reached out to me about a month or two ago about uh, the bloody sock thing. And and uh, the guy that was writing the article found out that I was moving. We'd talk and, and the article actually turned into Kurt Schilling's leaving New England because people aren't nice. Um, and my comment was that that since I retired, New England had not been a pleasant experience for my family. Right? It, 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 it outside of 
you know, Medfield circle of friends. Um, it was not a good experience for my family, for my kids. Um, and I wanted, I, I wanted to be happy. I, I, I wanted to be around good people and I'm there. This is, this is everything I dreamed it would be and more. Um, you know, it used to be I'd have to wake up to Dan Shaughnessy writing some bitter article about me being a blowhard. And now my biggest dilemma is what to fill the goat bottle with the baby to, to bottle feed a goat. So, you know, it, it's, it's good. I saw you didn't just move the, you know, yourself, you moved the whole farm down yep. there. And, uh, you know, we've seen some of the videos of you attending to your animals, but I got to ask, since I'm still here, what was the last, what pushed you over the edge? It's gotten worse. I will give you that. It's gotten more intense. It's gotten more, uh, you know, confrontational up here. Maybe it's the pandemic and, and COVID and the lockdown and everything else, but what pushed you over the edge? What sent I, you I think I got, I think I got pushed over the edge a while ago. Um, I, and, and my, our last, our youngest son who, uh, you know, wants to be an NHL goalie was in senior high school. He still is, uh, and is getting ready to graduate. And I, I, I looked around and, and Sean and I were talking and there was no reason to remain there. First of all, there's no financial, I'm retired. So I, you know, <clears throat> as far as, you know, when, when the election happened, you know, I was, I was uh, pro Trump and, and still am not for me because it really wasn't going to impact me uh, in any way, but for my kids and their future. Uh, and it's, and it's turned out to be the absolute shitstorm we all thought it would be uh, and, and worse. And I didn't want to be in a place. Well, <laughs> I, I guess when I said nice people, what it, people here were raised like I was raised. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Respect for everybody else. Your color, your sexual, or none of that stuff matters. Are you a law-abiding citizen? Yes. Okay. We're, everything's fine. That, I, that's the America I grew up with. That's how I was raised. And that doesn't exist in New England. In addition to the fact that our property tax went from, I think, 24000 a year to 1500 um, and I now have 33 acres, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, an enormous, a, a dream home. And, um, you know, it just, it, it was a, just a combination of things. And, and when I said nice people, obviously I didn't mean the people, people that know me like you know me, um, you know, that the, the Kurt Schilling, the media has created is a falsehood. Doesn't that, that person doesn't actually exist, but people that don't know me treated me as if I was that person. And you know, that's their prerogative. But at the end of the day, I'm around people that, that are nice and kind. And I like being here and, I, and people and are respectful. Don't they don't care who I am. Right. And I, I'm, I always say, I mean, I've been surrounded by the people my whole life. I mean, I grew up here, went to yeah. high school, college, worked in journalism. So I've been surrounded by, you know, now there would be Trump haters. Right. You know, but it's people, changed. Right. But it's oh, changed. But yeah, no question. It's gotten more. Because when you and I were growing up, Democrats were Democrats. They were left of That's center, true. you know, and they had some there was some social issues that we might have disagreed on or whatever that no longer exists. There is no true Democrat anymore. Right. And 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 this person on the other side is anti-America, anti-police, anti-constitution, anti-family values, anti-traditional values. And if you're pro any of those things, you're a racist. Right. And it, right. it's just it's it's boring. It's boring, it's mundane, and it's sad. Did you get heckled or confronted 
in no. person, like everyone oh, hell walking no. down the street? No, no. The, the one thing I know about liberals is they don't have the guts to do the things they say on Twitter in person, because if they did, you know, I, and, and honestly, one of the reasons I know this has been an incredible success, even though I've only been here a couple of weeks, is I've been on Twitter, I think, twice. Right. Uh, and, you know, and, and the, the the outpouring of, I, I got to tell you, um, the Twitter feedback was mind-numbing to me. The amount of support and people who you know apologized for for New England treating my whatever was overwhelming and incredibly appreciated. And I I made, I made mention of that, but the fact of the matter is, I our best friend actually is moving down here literally less than a quarter mile away from us. Really, um, I've actually talked to a couple other people in my life that are very dear friends who I, we're trying to get to move down here with us. I just want to be surrounded by people that I wake up and I can wake up and smile and be happy to be around. I always say that uh, to my wife when um, there'll be a story or whatever, there'll be a story of somebody harassing a cop. That's the big story today or this week. And you see these videos of people getting in cops faces or whatever, defund the police things or riots. And, and I'll say people who live around us, people in our families voted for that. It, right, it, right. It, 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 it doesn't as much, it doesn't infuriate me as, as much well, as no, it boggles my mind. But I, but, but I got to the point where I was physically angry really at, at what I was seeing because of, of the disrespect. And I'm at a point now, I saw a, a, a tweet today or a, a Facebook post today that said, if you vote Democrat after all of this, you're a certified idiot. And, and, and I, I back up and say, if you voted Democrat this time around and you're a grown adult, what's wrong with you? <laughs> what is wrong with you? And, and we're getting, I mean, we're, we're in a country where a group of people is voting to defund the police. And then the city council has a meeting and they're pissed about the response times of law enforcement to 911 calls. Right. Like that's happening. That's real. And you can't, you couldn't even make a movie about this stuff because people wouldn't believe it. Right. Kurt, my congressman, congresswoman is Ayanna Presley. I said, I'm going to say this every day. People are sick of it who listen he, she said the other day that since the George Floyd verdict two weeks ago, 70 people have been murdered by police officers in this country, 70. And no one cares. No one says a word. No one calls her out. They just say, oh, that's too bad. She can lie about the cops. And, you know, when she says it, it create, it fuels the fire. There's more animosity, more vitriol toward the cops. And it's like, it, 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 it's her fault. It's on her. Well, it's on it, it, you know, Al Sharp. It's on Liz Warren. They're the ones this, saying this is, cops are racist. This is why, if you remember, Murder. remember the Adam Jones incident? Sure, of course okay. I do. Now, now, it never happened. And I came out and said that it never happened because there was just too much. Had it actually happened, there would have been an eyewitness. As it was, there was no eyewitness. Mike Lupica wrote an article about it, and his witness ended up being a kid who lied that he was Correct. sitting in the outfield section. He's actually sitting behind no plate. Mike Lupica didn't retract the article. I, I believe it's still up there, Kurt. It, it is still up there. It is a high school it, kid pranked uh, Mike Lupica, and it. But no one ever. Mike you Lupica know, didn't it, retract the article, so that goes on the docket of Boston right. being a racist city, and and those are the when you look at these fake hate crimes. I just heard the other day from somebody in in Massachusetts that there was a, a report of a young black girl who was lynched. Right. It's happening. Uh, it's happening tomorrow. There's a, <laughs> believe it or not, there's a vigil in Hopkinton. Well, hold on a second. 
Hold on a second. But dear, you know, if this young girl had been lynched, it'd be the biggest story in the world. It would be the biggest story on the planet. And now, listen, I don't know the surroundings, but it happened over a month ago, apparently. And my first response to the person saying it was, are you sure they didn't commit suicide or was this an actual? Because I know for a fact, just like if you yell the N-word at a Major League Baseball game, people are going to stand up and the social justice warriors are going to be everywhere. Well, you, None of that you, stuff happened. That's how you know it's a hoax. You were li- like me. We got in some trouble, some hot water when we called Adam Jones out, even though we waited, we asked the questions, we looked into it, we said, this doesn't add up. The Tory Hunter story was even more ridiculous. He right. said a bunch of kids were chanting the N-words and a bunch of grown-ups were cheering them on. Of course, that's nonsense. You know it, I know it. But nobody but, you know, you or me and maybe one or two other people will even say it. The Red right. Sox, and I want to get to the Red Sox because they're the only team I've ever seen that always takes the word of a single uh, accuser right. against their own fans. Their right. own fans. You and I right. know those fans. We know yeah. they didn't chant the N-word right. to Tory Hunter. We know that's ridiculous. There'd be, like you said, there'd be 100 people calling him out, calling security, pointing at him, calling the Globe for crying What out. happened? Hey, hold on one second, Jerry. The night after the Adam Jones incident, someone actually did say it behind and the dugout. Called out like that. They got called out immediately, and the police security escorted him out of the stadium. Right, right, which is what happens. What right. happens when when that happens? So the Tory Hunter story is ridiculous. We all know it. The Red Stars come out, back up Tory Hunter, and condemn their own fans. It's maddening, and it's why so many people can't stand this Red Sox ownership, even though they won four World Series. Well, I was going to ask you. You seem to be, you know, mending the fences. You made another. You made an appearance at Fenway. Was it two years ago? Yeah. I can't, and and it seemed like you were back, you know, in the good graces and everything was okay. I'm going to guess you don't feel that any feel that way anymore. Well, I never felt that way. Uh, the, 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 the ownership of this team, they're, they're, my, my dad, God bless him, uh, I, I think raised me the right way. And one, my dad was, unbelievably, was a man of few words. And his highest compliment was always, that's good people. And, and his worst compliment was, that's a bad person. And, and all I can tell you is that the two men that run that team are really bad people. And, and what they did to me and my family, my final year in Boston, well, some, I, I, I got, I've forgiven them, um, but I'll never, ever forget what they did uh, after. And, and I, I, I hesitate to say it like this. I bled for them. Uh, uh, and, and I did things to my body that, that you shouldn't do because I got paid to win baseball games, not play. I got paid to win baseball games. I was brought there to help win a world series and I did everything I could possibly do. And beyond some things physically, I probably should have done, but I would do again because of the 24 guys I suited up with. And I, I've always believed in the uniform and, and giving everything you can to the organization that, that cuts your paycheck. And I was no different there. And way they treated me on the way out with something I'll never, ever forget. All right. What'd they do? So, um, if you remember the my last year in 08, uh, 07, after we won the World Series, I became a free agent for about 48 hours. And it was funny because if you remember early in my career, Ed Wade, the general manager of the Phillies, said, you know, Kurt's a horse every four, fifth day and every four, four days in between, he's a horse's ass. Right. And and my response was, well, who, you know, who's Ed Wade? What has Ed Wade ever done? Why would Ed Wade's opinion even matter? But it was because Ed Wade didn't do anything as a GM and, 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 and all this other stuff. Um, but I was... Uh, 
I, 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 the first call I got was from Ed Wade as a free agent. He was in Houston. He's like, Hey, I want you to come play for me. I'm like, Oh, oh yeah. this is funny. And, and there, I had a two year deal on the table for an, a, a significant amount of money. Um, and I called Theo. I wanted to finish in Boston. I felt horrible about 07 in the sense that I was hurt most you know, on and off all year. I didn't feel like I earned my paycheck and I wanted to, to come back. And I came back, I signed a one year deal for 8 million. It was a, a significant pay cut. About a month after I signed the deal, I went in, had my physical, everything got done. I went in and had my physical and my, I was, my arm was bothered. My arm after the physical, I was playing catch. My arm was bothering me, but I checked out. I passed the physical and all that other stuff. And I, I had, I was having trouble. And I went to see Dr. Gill at the time who said, they said I had some tendonitis. And I went to actually see Dr. Morgan, the man who'd been operating on me for the last 30 years. And he told me that I had what's called, uh, uh, and then my bicep was rotting at the, at the connection where it connects up into the shoulder, the tissue was rotting away. And basically the only way to fix that is to go in there and detach the bicep and then reattach it underneath your arm. Ooh. And it's called a bicep. It's, it's something that's been very rarely done ever. Um, but he said, you know, six months and you're back good as new. The Red Sox didn't want me to do this. They also said that since I was taking painkillers that I lied to them about my health. And basically you remember when Tito left, Somebody from the front office leaked the story about him. Oh, yeah. You know, you know, they they threatened on, to do the same drugs, thing with you. They threatened, to do this, they threatened to do the same thing to me. Oh. Um, if I didn't renegotiate my contract and take money off my contract and 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 uh, uh, they would they would, you know, they they were not sure how they were gonna be able to handle uh, you know, the public part of this. And so at the time, I, I don't my, I mean, we had an arbitration hearing at kind of, we had major league baseball came in. I sat across the table from, from, uh, Mr. Werner, Mr. Lacino, Mr. Henry, Theo Epstein and Rob Manfred. And it was my lawyer and I, and, and, and I, I said to, I, I, I first of all, I couldn't believe this was happening that they thought that I lied to them. Number one. And I, and I said to them, I said, listen, you know, you guys sit up here in this ivory tower, not understanding the cost some of us pay to play this game. I said, and I paid the cost and I, you know, I'd pay it again. I said, but I, I mean, I never misrepresented anything in this. And, and, and it came, uh, turned out that after I said both Bush and 04, they, they hated my guts. Right. And, and um, so they basically threatened to tell everybody that I was addicted to painkillers. I had lied and got a contract from them if I didn't take a renegotiated contract, which is why they asked for, when we settled, they asked for a five-year NDA. Oh, and and because five years is the time between then and the Hall of Fame vote, I guess. And they figured I wouldn't say anything after that. I mean, sadly, they didn't know me um, because it's not as I mean, I, I, I took I was taking painkillers at a level that was incredibly unhealthy uh, all through that time from 04 on. I mean, every time I took a, made a start, I, took, I had a shot of Toradol uh, and and I didn't take painkillers when I pitched. But I, I was, it was a matter of just getting back up on the field and, you know, I'm a big guy. So eventually, you know, anybody that's taken painkillers and understands you start to build up immunity, you have to take more and you have to take more. And I was taking more and more and I was getting whatever I needed from the team at the time. Were you, that, there was, were you, were you addicted to painkillers? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But, but the team was, all on, all in. Like that was never an issue. I mean, from 04 to 08, I got what I needed whenever I needed it. 
What about when you were home, you know, day off with the, with the wife? Whatever, whatever I needed, I got that. There was never any, never any criteria for, for getting a prescription. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I, but again, I managed it in the sense that I, I signed the deal with them. I was healthy. I was fine. I, again, I took my physical past everything and, uh, this came up after and, and this was, and I was, I was, I was crushed. I was because it blew, it blew up my mind and my image of what this was all about, right? It's a business and I get it. And, and, but you always take care of your own. And I had done, I felt like I had done some things in that organization to deserve the respect of the ownership. And it was very clear. They did the, the, those two gutless cowards sat across from me and didn't open their mouths the entire hearing. We're, we're talking John Henry and uh, Werner? Tom Warner. Not once did they say a word to me. And I, I said, I spoke directly to them <laughs> did you? and they didn't respond to me. I'm, I'm not surprised. Did you, I've been with you. I, you don't even drink much. Um, no. When did you give up the uh, so painkillers? I've been on a pain management program now for almost a decade. I, I see somebody every month um, and, and, and I, I got, that's how I have gone about it, but it took me a while. Actually, I went through withdrawal when I got throat cancer because I went into the hospital and I had to stop taking them. And so there was a, a period of time that was just a nightmare during that, that time. But I mean, it's, like I said, it's, 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 it's obviously it's changed now, but um, it's a, the, the price that some guy, and I, you know, it's honestly, Jerry, I think about the NFL and I remember North Dallas 40 <laughs> and everything about that was spot on. And it, you know, it, this is a multi-billion dollar business. Were you like Nick Nolte were supposed to set an example for young players by going out there hurt? Well, you, but see here, I was, I don't know how to put this. I was raised old school in the sense that my number one statistic was always innings. Like that, that was the only stat that ever mattered to me because if I pitched my innings, all the other numbers would be where they needed to be. So as the ace of the staff, I had to lead the team in innings pitched every year. That was, that was what this, the ace did in the ball every fifth day. And, and, you know, that's why 07 was such a challenge and so painful for me because I had to, it, I wasn't, the game's a nightmare. Anytime you see a guy hurt in spring training who plays catch up, it's a nightmare season because you can't succeed consistently in big league baseball. If every four days between starts, you're just trying to survive to the next game instead of, you know, for, for me, when I was healthy in 04, it was pitch on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday was all about study preparation, getting ready for my next start. When that goes to changes to, I just got to physically be able to get out on the mound five days from now, the entire mindset changes and you're just playing a survival game. What do you, when you're not getting a short shot of Toradol, in what form do painkillers come and do you get those from the team as well? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, uh, Vicodin, Vicodin was, yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny people, I have a headache or, or an ache or pain. People are like, Oh, take some Tylenol. I'm like, no, no, you don't understand that. That's I, heroin is basically tic-tac to somebody that's, <laughs> that's using Vicodin to the levels you, you use it. Do you think if you were a, uh, a, a good liberal, I don't know, you know, like, Red Sox co-owner LeBron James, do you think things would have gone differently for you? Absolutely. Not just, not just with the team, but with the, with the region. Everything. Everything. With the Everything media, with the media obviously. Everything we, would have been We different. wouldn't be friends. <laughs> right. No, but, but, I, but I, the, the difference is I wouldn't be able to sleep well at night with myself right now. 
Right, right. I mean, you must have laughed like I did when they made a big announcement, like it was a great new, great news that LeBron James was now part owner of the Reds. But here's the thing. I thought it was cool. Like, I, I love right. the thought of, of Tiger Woods buying a franchise or anybody. I don't care. I think that's great. Derek Jeter. I think that's really cool because I think that there are some players who have the ability like a Jason Veritek to do something other than catch and, and be a benefit to an organization. Uh, the problem is that when you have somebody as ignorant and stupid as LeBron James and they have that big of a platform, they do far more damage than they do help. And, and, and you know, he now he represents the Boston Red Sox and all the things that he says and does. And last I looked, his last tweet was threatening a police officer's life. Right. And I, uh- I said this in a show last week. I've never seen anyone, the equivalent of LeBron on the other side. And there aren't many people as you. And I couldn't think of, you know, Aubrey Huff. There's not many guys outspoken right wingers. But if if someone like you or someone did what he did, doxed a cop. A cop, by the way, we didn't even know his identity until LeBron sent a picture and said, you're next. Threatening a cop. Not for doing something wrong, for saving the life of a young black woman. That's what he did. It's right. the most egregious thing I've ever seen a professional athlete do. It really is. And not. And what makes it worse is there are no repercussions. Well, no one here, the league, the know league what, does nothing. Nike does nothing. The media does nothing. There is. He doesn't get uh, you know suspended from Twitter. Nothing. All happens you to have him. to do. You want to know what would happen? Look at Hunter Biden and Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> right. I mean, literally, yeah. what, what, if you listen to Giuliani and you listen to Dershowitz, what happened to really Giuliani? There was no, it was one of the most unconstitutional things our government's ever done. And, 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 and what, he did, what he did by saying, there's Hunter's laptop, I mean, a hot right. guy, you no, want it? And they say well, no. Everything. I mean, you, you're hearing former prosecuting attorneys saying to, to sign a search warrant, I have to give the judge reason to believe I have probable cause that this person committed a crime. Right. And they had none of that. And, and, and I was looking at my father-in-law and I said, I, I don't think the common citizen is as scared about this story as they should be. Because this is, this is the Department of Justice weaponized Russia collusion on steroids. I, I say this, you know, people always say, oh, the country's more divided than ever, more partisan. And I say, generally, my answer is that's okay. We're supposed to be divided. You know, you're not supposed to be all on the same right. team. But right. but here's how divided we are, that on one side, you can have something this outrageous, raiding the lawyer of a president and taking his communication and taking his information off the cloud and trying to trap him. And the other side says nothing. I mean, that right. is scary with no other than Dershowitz. Well, it used to be that we were both on opposite sides of the fence, but we were all pro-America. We were pro-free speech. Those days are right. over. We were pro-first And, and now it is, we've drawn sides, and the Constitution is the barrier between the two sides. I mean, you've got one side saying it's a malleable document, that, and, and as Joe has said a couple times, you know, right. no amendment is ironclad. Well, no, actually, they are. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they can be amended, but, but they're not, it's not hard to interpret. Right, um, no amendment is, is absolute. Right, right. And, and it's also why you're seeing a move to get a 51st state, a move to expand the Supreme Court, because they hate the Constitution. They hate the Constitution the way conservative judges interpret it. Right. It's it's definitely an obstacle for their agenda. And, and it, I think what you're seeing is they're, the, the, everything's accelerated because they have two years, year and a half now 
because they know they're going to lose the House, maybe the Senate, maybe uh, certainly the White House if it's Kamala against, you know, Ron DeSantis. So they are going to pick up the pace in, in terms of uh, transformation. Transform my problem, my, but my problem now is, Jerry, and the reason I, I, I literally I, I, I want to say there's a there's a countrywide depression in a sense. I, you can feel it um, is some of the stuff that's going to happen and it's happening is irreparable. Um, right. The border's opening in 10 to 20 to 30 million. You're not going to be able to undo that. The tens of thousands of small businesses that are destroyed on a weekly basis in this country, those aren't coming back. And, and all of these riots, they're burning down their own towns. Go back and look at Ferguson. Take a look at what, what Ferguson looks like today as opposed to before the riots. They burn their own places down. People aren't going to rebuild there. I've seen Minneapolis uh, right. almost a year later. It's it, right. nothing. It's it's so depressing. It's, it's going to look like Detroit very very soon. Right. And and, 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 I mean, and so kids didn't go to school. Kids didn't go to school for a year. You don't just get that back. You don't just go to well, school. That, and, that that to me is probably the biggest crime in the sense that a generation of kids have been irreparably harmed. But the biggest miss of the entire last twenty four months was we should have re- gutted. The education system gutted it and and completely redone how we educate our kids. And and the teachers union is so powerful. You're watching, like I said, these kids, I, I haven't seen, I'm in Tennessee. I've seen 15 masks since I've been here. <laughs> I haven't seen anybody wearing one. Uh, and I don't hear any outbreaks down here. Kids are all attending school uh, full five days a week, seven to two. Sports. Um, well, and I just saw Brookline's getting ready to go back to outdoor mand- mandating outdoor masks. Right. They they will not uh, uh, agree with the rest same of the country. The- same country, though. Right. I mean, the same. This is the same. And you're looking at California where parents are basically literally there's I saw a video of a parent just going nuts about, at the school board. And and they said that after that meeting, a school board uh, person texted another person on school board saying we are at war with the parents. Consider this. I mean, you have uh, all this evidence. It's been a year, Kurt, since they've locked down many states, blue states. That's a lot of evidence. That's a year. And still, you know, Michigan is you know doubling down on their lockdowns. Towns like Brookline are saying, no, no, we have to stay locked down. We have to keep the masks. Yeah. How much evidence do you need? Well, two months Florida, ago, Florida and Texas and Tennessee. When it passed. When it passed 550,000, uh, which, by the way, the, the media is never reluctant to share that number. Um, when it passed 550,000, and the, the statistic at the time was only 6%. And now, again, I caveat this, even though I despise it. I don't, I just, of course, any death is one too many. Okay. But the, the, the side, an argument for gun control and, and, and uh, against the death penalty, I mean, give me a break. But the fact of the matter is only 6% of the people had actually died purely from COVID. Right. The 540,000 people, only 6% had died. And here's the number for the teachers union. I want to ask in 2020, in 2020, 47 kids ages five to 15 died of COVID 47 nationwide, 545 kids ages five to 14 committed suicide which is like a 11,000% increase in that age group. Right. And it's like, if, if Trump don't... is responsible, if Trump is responsible for the 57 COVID deaths of those kids, who's responsible for the 545 suicides? 
and the I mean it's in, in drugs and alcohol and domestic abuse there's things that Dr. Fauci never mentions it doesn't seem to matter more people have died of suicide than COVID in San Francisco I mean it's should it, and it doesn't seem to matter I guess the thing that I'm getting most frustrated about Jerry is here we're talking about things that we already know all of the answers right. to right this was about power this was about control uh, they, they, I mean, listen, in a country where democracy, it reigns true and, and uh, a free election is at the core of who we are. How is it possible that Arizona's recount is exposed? I think the three days in, they said they had found potentially 250,000 fraudulent votes in a state won by 10,000. How is that not on the front of every single newspaper on the planet? Much less it's buried. It's, it's I haven't heard a- anybody. It's such a weird dynamic is this one thing that's off limits. You can't have an opinion. You can obviously you're you're free to speak your mind, express yourself in this country. But right now, there's one thing you can't offer an opinion about. It's the the (laughs) the legitimacy of an election. If you say, well, my opinion is whatever X, you could get deplatformed. I mean, this is. If you if you offer, I mean, it, it's just weird. You're not swearing, well, you're not well, defaming you know, anyone, you're not, you know, saying. But see, this is what they do, fire. Jerry. But remember, if you remember the last half of Trump's administration, every single news piece started off with, "Well, we know he's a racist." So, <laughs> and my uh, and my our response was, "I don't, I, I, I don't believe that. I don't. You're you're presupposing something that is not true." Oh well, how can you say he's not a racist? And and then you go back to the same. Well, I mean, why is he a racist? The lowest black unemployment in recorded history, more women employed than have ever been, prison reform, all of this other stuff, but it doesn't matter. And so when you realize that you're arguing with a side that that doesn't use or need or want facts to back up their argument, you're making, you're, you're arguing with people you're never going to win against. I just saw a Steven Crowder episode. He was talking with a young black college kid on campus and, and he was talking about the unemployment numbers. And this is, I don't know if you remember, Neil Kubota had a, a, a young lady on last year. She was with this million student march. And she said, you know, I want to tax the, the richest 1%, you know, that same bullshit line you hear from them. And Neil said, you know, hon, if you do that, you're not going to be able to fund these entitlements after three months. If you take every penny of every rich person in this country, you won't be able to fund them for more than, than 90 days. And she, her response was, I don't believe that. Right. Well, and and that, so what do you do? How do you argue? How do you how do you debate that? Well, the election wasn't a fraud. Well, yeah, it absolutely was a fraud. Well, no, it was. There's no chance it was. But, 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 well, but, okay, but, here's all this evidence. Well, I don't believe it. You, but you're not allowed. You're not allowed to right. say I get evidence. You're not allowed to bring it up. I mean, they will right. literally take you off social but media. That's, that how we, the, that's the most. They're going to be talking thing. to our kids about this election and how, you know, America won. Because the hatred of Trump overcame and the white, the white systemic racism overcame, was overcome by love and joy of the most hateful, spiteful, exclusive group of human beings on this planet. Right. <laughs> and now the resistance is the people who align with big government, big tech, uh, academia, Hollywood, the media. They're all on your side. You're no longer the resistance. I hate to right. break well, you, listen, you can't make this stuff up. So it, this is one of the ultimate ironies of life right now. If you look at what's happening in the fast food industry, it's, the automation is taking over, right. right? Silicon Valley is hard at work at creating that automation. 
while arguing for $15 an hour minimum wage. They're arguing to, to pay minimum wage $15 an hour to the jobs that they're eliminating with their automation. It's almost as nutty as the Target in downtown Minneapolis, which got torched and looted. Right. Now they've rebuilt and they've uh, commissioned a mural that was painted right. outside of uh, people rioting and looting. They well, did I a said, mural. They did a mural to in tribute to the people that destroyed the very right. store. Nothing, nothing, nothing in this world says social justice like a pair of Bear Jordans. <laughs> hey, careful. I don't want to get uh, deplatformed here. Yeah. I got to ask you, speaking, you know what? I make a, I, I try to keep a list of all the insane uh, developments in this cancel culture we're in in the last year. It's hard to keep up. I mean, you go from whatever it is. Aunt Jemima and Uncle Ben to to Cleveland Dr. and Family Seuss. Guy to guy the guy getting fired in Sacramento for saying all lives matter. There's just right. a million things like that. Chris Harrison, the Bachelor guy, who did nothing wrong. Mike Milbury did nothing wrong. Right. But I'm telling you, Kurt, this could be. I don't say the the worst or the craziest, but it could be the the dumbest. Major League Baseball, what they did to Atlanta, what they did with the All-Star game, to me, and they did it quickly, was just the most cowardly thing and, and myopic, very short-sighted to say, we are going to uh, placate the mob for the moment, pull the game out, just like, you know, like in a matter of, what, two days, uh, they pulled the game out of Atlanta, moved to Denver, and I'm not sure uh, they ever recover from the hit they took from that. Their base, no. their, you know, the people, you know, our age... A lot of white guys, a lot of conservatives are disgusted with Major League Baseball for that one symbolic move. I got to tell you, there a lot of things have really – I haven't been watching. I can't watch. I really honestly, I just can't. I, I mean, other than watching maybe a DeGrom start or, uh, you know, a Scherzer start, it's really, really hard for me to do to do anything and watch anything pro sports. Uh, I'm really stunned. I was a player rep when Rob Manfred was uh, assistant uh, in the in MLB. I love Rob Manfred. I, I thought he was an honest, forthcoming, forthright guy. Uh, he clearly is a politician in, in sheep's clothing. Um, but I, I got to tell you, probably the most stunning event in, in of a Major League Baseball executive, and it kills me to say this, was Theo Epstein. When – you saw, I, I remember, remember the Chicago Cubs game on ESPN and the kid was behind Doug Glanville and he gave the peace sign. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Did you see Theo's press conference after that? Right. When that was, uh... Theo came out and his first words were, when I saw that I was mortified and I'm thinking to myself, no, no, not you too. <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, Theo was always an old Democrat to me in the sense that he was very socially liberal and all the other things ago, but, but he, I, he wasn't woke like that. Right. And and when he said that, I'm thinking to myself, wow, because uh, Theo is a smart dude. And there's no way Theo saw that and thought what he said. Right. He thought everything else I thought, which is this. Here's a college kid being an idiot, period. Right. A, a and this kid was banned from Wrigley Field. <laughs> I mean, I, I, and I, the, it's little things like that. Right. I mean, there's always in a person's life, there's always you can always point to specific events that will tell you about that person. You know, the, those moments where you just see somebody for who they are. We're, we're there with the country now. We're seeing those moments literally multiple times daily. And, you know, the, the, and the media is failing to report the true story, which is we no longer care what they think. Nine million people watch the Academy Awards. Down from I think fifty nine million. Right, it was right, and twenty three so, years so, earlier they had fifty six million. Correct. 
We don't care anymore <laughs> what Hollywood thinks. We don't care. I mean, the ratings on CNN and all these shows, it's hilarious. It's hilarious and awesome that no one is watching any of them. But that's all we, that's why I, I literally, and I, I, my hand to God, I probably watched, outside of Tucker, I probably watched 15 minutes of live news in the last six months because it no longer is news. It truly is. And, and it's scary for me to say this. The, the American media has become a propaganda machine for a liberal socialist platform and power that is not Joe Biden or Kamala Harris. This is this is a, a bigger group and a deeper group than that. Hold on. Hold on. You're putting three fingers up right there. Is that a white power salute? I think I see. Uh, you I don't to... I didn't. I got to get my I don't know what the gang sign is, whatever. <laughs> the, it, is. it is funny. Have, because... This is the I have goats. I have goats. <laughs> that is a great example of Theo one, which is probably comes from his upbringing in the Red Sox organization. But, but they all but have one thing in thing, common. Gary, this is the thing, though, for me. He's a smart guy. Like he's not just book smart. He's life smart. He's one of the smartest people, most intuitive people I've ever met. And there's no chance, none that he saw that and thought that none. Correct. That's my point is like, no one thinks the jeopardy guy was single and white power. No one really believes that. But uh, the mob is the one common thread is they're afraid of the woke mob. They're afraid of the Twitter mob. They're afraid of the, the New York times. And, and they think, that's the way to placate them to say, well, oh, yeah. Do. But here's the thing that white supremacy is no longer a thing in the United States. Like right. we marginalize them. They don't they, they, they don't have a seat at the table there. You no, know, the Democratic Party that that had members in it, that were part of the Klan. We had a president. We paid Klan dues who was a Democrat. Those people, they they're gone. We, they don't longer have a say. They don't have any influence in this country. The only people keeping them alive and keeping their voice in the public persona is the media and the left. Right. They can't name one name. Okay. No, the white, this, it's the most, uh, the worst threat we're facing according to what is systemic racism? Who's the leader? Who's who are you afraid of? Who, and where are they? They don't have an answer because it's the boogeyman. They no longer have the orange man. Now they have the boogeyman. Well, I keep going back to if, if, if we're a systemically racist country, why have we found so many people in power who, who have tried to be native American or black? I mean, Elizabeth Warren lied to be a Native American, and I can't remember the young lady's name who said she was Rachel Rachel Dol- Rachel Dolezal. Right? Why would she lie to be black in a systemically racist country? That's a that's a good question. As we see, you know, with these police interactions, if the people are so afraid of the cops, why are they all such a holes to the cops? Why right, is the, why the, the college professor in in, Cal- in L.A. If, yelling at the cop if they're so if afraid? You abide, gonna... If you abide by a law. Uh, an officer's word. If you listen and follow rules, I guarantee you, hundred percent, hand to God, you won't get shot. Right. Back to uh, Rob Manford before we wrap this up is here's how you know it's gutless, how it's cowardly, is because there's no way Rob Manford believes that the Georgia election laws are racist. No. There's nope. no way Rob nope. Manford or any. I mean, he said he was listening to, you know, a, a bunch well, of black players. Uh, it was a small. It was like fifty black players who right. supposedly voiced their. Uh, Which is even with- more that that's even more painful to me, Jerry, because that is the bigotry of low expectations that right. the left has of minorities is so offensive to me. Are you telling me that that Latinos and blacks are too lazy and too stupid to get a driver's license? That's what that's, they're saying. That's what uh, you know, Stacey Abrams believes, and and right. every single one of her followers on CNN. How is that not racist? Beyond it's beyond that. What what like Keith Oldman says is the people who ask for an ID. 
they're, you know, the Klan, they're the white supremacists, right. because you ask for an ID, which everybody, you know, like 80% of the public, both sides of the aisle, believes is perfectly acceptable. Rob Manfred knows that. He right. knows the Georgia voters, the Georgia legis legislature did nothing wrong, did nothing offensive. He knows it, and yet he pulls $100 million out of their economy, moves it to Denver, which has stricter election laws, just yeah. to placate the mob for the time being. And I think you're going to see a real backlash in the ratings and the interest in the game because a lot of their base is disgusted with that move. They're not. Well, they're the not New York open. City voting, the New York voting laws in New York are, are but, draconian compared to Georgia. Are the and, Mets and, and Yankees leaving? Right. And Delaware, too, where Biden's home state. Right. Much more. No, no early voting. It's not even well, close. I mean, it's listen, ridiculous. only it's, only in America can we elect a president who 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 penned legislation that put more young black men in prison than any president in our lifetime and call him. A, a, a president for all people. And he will use everything to divide people along racist, racial lines. I mean, you point out, uh, you know, the, the, the create the, this image that Trump or this perception that Trump's racist. You know what was even more egregious? And it sounds ridiculous, but the idea that Derek Chauvin was racist and it, right. it wasn't even an issue in court. Obviously, he got convicted. He's probably an awful person, and he did, and he, well, he committed the crime. And, and and you know, fine, put him away. But they invented this racial angle because it right. works for them. Well, that, that's right what they the do with every, right. And, and the, the fact of the matter is, Derek Chauvin shouldn't have been there. That he had fourteen priors in his jacket. He never should have had a badge at that point. Right. Now, listen, I don't think he intended to murder him. I do think manslaughter, whatever. I I, I think he's going to jail for the rest of his life, and I think he should. Right. But the fact of the matter is, and I've said this, I've had a chance to talk to different bodies of police officers over the last couple of months. And, you're, and, and I've said, listen, you know, there's more of me than there is of them out there. Just know that. All right. There's more of there's more people out here that support you than don't. Number one. Number two, your job is not to protect and serve anymore. Your job is to get home safe to your families right. every night because right. because my government doesn't have your back. I said, and lastly, please understand this. If you guys don't police yourselves, there's nothing I can do. Nothing I can do because that one bad Derek Chauvin, you've seen what that is the poster child for the left for police officers. But it's one thing to say he was a bad guy and, a, and he was, you know, he broke the law. But why does it have to always be racist? Why does that become racist? Because it works for, you know, one side against the other. Right. And it's, and it's, well, and, and our own president goes on and right. starts talking well, but about that's, that's what they do, right? It's divide and conquer. This is all about division. This, it, the, the, the people in the White House have no desire whatsoever for this country to unify, because if this country unified, we never have a Democrat sitting in an elected office ever again. <laughs> right. And that's what they're afraid of. In, uh, yep. in two years, the tide could turn. But uh, all right, Carl, I'll let you go. Do you have to do late you know, feedings for any of your animals? No, I'll go. I'll go check. I have an injured uh, baby goat. Uh, an uh, injured that, baby goat. Yeah, What's that, name? What's, I'm, uh, I, I, she doesn't have a name yet, but oh. I'm, I'm hoping she pulls through. I, I've been bottle feeding her for the last couple of days. So really, and I'm what, you took all the animals, like put them on a moving truck and took. No, them I, so I had a gentleman do it. A phenomenal, phenomenal uh, <laughs> young guy who's a firefighter and does it in his spare time. He drove them down here, and they're all uh, cooped up here and and getting used to home number two. And yeah, I assume you brought all your guns. You're allowed to do that walk down. Oh, the sure, street. yeah. Down here, you basically just need a coupon from Circle K. 
to carry a firearm uh and it's open carry everywhere here so and uh you can you know out in the wilderness don't go canoeing in that river where it's, they a, it's amazing though I, I i walk into a walmart and there's four or five people with guns and nobody is shooting anyone yeah that's a good point that doesn't uh, happen that way plus you get to go to nashville for for kicks you get to go well I, mean, I, I i i will say and this could could get me on the outs up there i have i have converted now i'm i'm now a national predator season ticket holder are you uh Yes, and I will become a National Predators fan um, against the wishes of my oldest son. So uh, I, 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 I'm, there's going to be some family strife. Do you have any country stars in the neighborhood, Tim McGraw, or you know? We, we do have a couple. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to let their privacy remain private, but uh, <laughs> we have a couple. And uh, like I said, I, I just, I, I, you know, if it were, if, if the state were full of people like you, we never would have left. Um, well, I'm, but. I'll- I will say it again, my friend. I'm jealous because you know it does the, the 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 fight up here. The it does wear you down after a while. It's, it's heaven on worse. earth down here, Jerry. It's heaven on it's earth. It really is. Maybe I'll maybe I'll end up and uh, you know come knocking at your door one of these days and say, yeah, we're looking. I got an open stall. <laughs> right. Do I have to feed the friggin' goat? I don't... You have to do some farm work. All right, Kurt Schilling. Nice catching up with you. Take and, care, uh, Jerry. By the, way, by the way, last question: Are you officially? given up telling the hall of fame to take your name off the ballot you no said- no 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 i've they they uh they promised me i would have my say at the meeting when they make that decision so i'm waiting for that to happen oh so you get to go to a meeting and make your case i get to be a part of it and and i think i'm going to make a case that's going to be very very strong uh argument for it i i like I, i'm i mean it's it, the hall of fame vote every year is a bitter experience for my family Right. And 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 it, it, that's the opposite of what it should be. I mean, you got people, morally bankrupt people like Dan Shaughnessy judging my character. No, thanks. Yeah, well, good luck with that. Keep us posted, and uh, we will talk to you again soon, Kurt. Take thanks care, my friend. Me. Talk to you. God bless. You. All right. The uh, intersection of sports, culture, and politics is at the heart of the new weekly podcast, The Long Game with LZ and Leach, because sticking to sports in 2021 and probably 2022 it just isn't possible sports extends beyond what happens on the field court or the pitch it's in everything which is why lz grandison and will leach cover the expanding world of sports and how the events on the field affect events off the field and vice versa new episodes are out every wednesday so you can head to therecount.com or your preferred podcast platform to listen to all available episodes I would have been telling you about Shake Concrete for a long, long time. Today, we're sitting with the man who makes it all work, the man in charge of the whole place, my brother-in-law, Greg. Hey, Greg, seems like business is booming at Shake Concrete. We're cranking that out, Jerry. Well, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering, what's holding you back these days? We could use some good help. You need people? We need people. How many people do you need? At least 20 people. 20? Well, what kind of people? We have positions driving trucks, working in the production plants, estimating engineers, all kinds. Do you need any podcasters? You <laughs> know, we do have the precast podcast. Well, I, I think it seems like a great place to work, as I tell people. It's a family atmosphere. You guys are good to your people. There's a great gym here at the headquarters. Uh, what's holding you back? Why can't you find people? Besides being to work on time, you have to pass the drug test. Ooh, <laughs> you have to pass a drug test. That's all it takes. All right, if people want to uh, come see you, they want to talk, what do they have to do? 
bunch of ways. They can, if they want to be a team member, they can go to shakeconcrete.com, fill out an application. They can come to our, any of our offices. We got four locations. They can call me up directly. They can email jobs at shakeconcrete.com. And you'll give them a hat? And you'll we'll give them a hat. Hats. Yep. All right, sounds good. Shakeconcrete.com. I saw a really cool, uh, nice cafeteria here. Can we go have lunch? Oh, absolutely. We got empanadas and chicken. <laughs> Excellent. I don't know what they are, but I'm going to go have an empanada. All right, next up, Buck Sexton joins Jerry Callahan on the June 18, 2021 show. Now, Buck is a, an ex-intelligence officer with the CIA, and he was recently named the co-host of the show that took over the Rush Limbaugh time slot, and that is, of course, the Clay and Buck show. So here is Jerry Callahan with Buck Sexton. Cast. All right, joining us now is our friend Buck Sexton, former uh, CIA intelligence offer, uh, officer, um, syndicated radio host, and soon-to-be co-host of the uh, Noon to Three show, which is replacing. I know you're not, you know, you don't, you don't actually replace Rush Limbaugh. We know nobody replaces Rush Limbaugh, but you are stepping in to that slot with Clay Travis at noontime on Monday. Buck, first of all, congratulations. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's exciting. Big, big job. I know you can handle it because we talked a lot about on our show. We talked a lot about this job, this opening. Obviously, Rush was sick for a long time. Rush passed away. And then it's it was a big, big story in the media world. And your name came up, at least when I talked about it every time. There's a few a handful of people, including Dan Bongino and and others. And my thought was. Buck could do, you know, three hours alone standing on his head. I mean, you, you do it all the time. You are one of the best soloists in the uh, business. But here you are sharing the stage with Clay Travis. Was this a surprise? Did that come out of left field for you when you got the call? Did you think, well, sh you know, I could do it. I'm, I'm ready to do it. But then they say, we're pair pairing you with another guy, a guy named Clay Travis. What's your first thought? I, I was just excited, honestly. I mean, I, I was, I mean, I, as you already brought up and, you know, Dan, Dan Bongino is a friend. He's a great guy. He does a great show. And there are some others who are, are going into the, the noon radio space as well. And, and uh, some of them, I don't honestly, I don't really know at all. And a couple of them are, are friends of mine. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll just, I'll just leave it, leave it at that. But, you know, Dan, Dan's a good man. And uh, I, I just, I was so excited at the opportunity to, step in. I mean, I like to say following in right. Russia's footsteps in some way, or, you know, we, we avoid the R word, like there's no replacing. Right. And, and I understood why they thought that this would be, you know, if, if you're going to try to create enough value for the listener um, that they, they feel like they're getting something of that's different, but of, of reasonably similar uh, value for their time, bringing in somebody with a sports background as well as a entrepreneurial and you know legal background, that's what that's what sort of Clay brings to the picture from a professional standpoint. And then I've got not only you know political radio for now ten years, but also uh, national security background. Um, it felt like we cover a lot of ground. We're kind of combining two audiences, and you know we we just feel like that was the uh, the best move to get the stations the most excited about it, yeah. and and just. You know, I, I get iHeart's vision on this. Uh, I understand why they went with it. And I was just excited to be a part of it. See, I, th I, I like it. I think it'll work. I was a part of uh, two-man radio for 22 years. Oh, how was that? And, Tell me about this. I've never done and, this before, so. Well, well, I, I'll give you this cynical, uh, the skeptical question here. Is 
uh, it seems to me, or the, the, I'll give you the doubts I, I have, and I've heard it from other people, is that you're both alpha dogs. You know, you're both lead dogs. You're both the lead guys, the number one chair guys. When you talk about two-man radio, there's always a number one chair and a number two chair. Number one guy is coming in and out of commercials and maybe reading more spots. Number two guy has more, I don't know, more personality and more, you know, maybe more of a fighter. He'll start the fights. That was my job. Um, you guys are both alpha dogs. What don't you think there is a natural conflict there where you, you, you're both looking at each other, wondering, you know, who's the lead here? Who's singing the lead? I think we'll figure it out. You've I'm done practice shows. I read that in the, in the trades, you've done practice shows. Yeah. How did those go? Went great. I mean, uh, we, we really, uh, we really, uh, vibe together very well. And we, we, you know, if, if this is, if this is, you know, Stockton and, and Malone, or this is, you know, Pippin and Jordan, and I'm just trying to, I don't know a lot about sports, but trying to think of like great duos from, uh, from Brady and Gronk. Team. How about that? Brady and Gronk. Brady and Gronk. Uh, you know, if this is like, if it, then I think it works for the audience and it works for us too. And, and that's what we're really going to go for. You know, I do a show. Uh, I've done a lot of counterpoint shows uh, with two person shows and have gotten used to that, that rhythm. And, and that's, there, there's a there's a, a delicate touch that's required in that too, right? To disagree with someone but never have them feel like you're attacking them, you're going after them, undermining them. I did I did a show with Crystal Ball, who is a leftist. I mean, she she wouldn't even say she's a Democrat. She's a le- I mean, she is a Democrat, but I mean, she's a leftist, right? She's on the left side of the Democrat Party. Um, and I do a show now even with Mark Lamont Hill. He's as left as left as you can get. <laughs> and I got to tell you, a really. Uh, affable and entertaining guy. So we really? have a, yeah, yeah, really. And so we have a, you know, we have a good show there. Yeah. On the, on the same, doing it on the same side, it's where it's going to require a bit of, yes. I mean, I, I did before this, I was doing up to five hours of solo radio a day. So oh. I, I do not need uh, in terms of content and, and no one would think this, I don't need a co-host. Uh, it, it wasn't something that, that I came up with as an idea, but when it was uh, presented to me, I, I saw the merit of it, and I think Clay does too. And we're just excited to to pull together a project that's going to really work well for the audience. And look, you know, I also do TV, man. I mean, you know how this is. It's a different world now. You can't create some unsinkable battleship platform that I don't care who you are, that that's all you do. You don't have to do social. You don't have to do video if you're an audio guy. You don't have to do audio if you're video. I mean, you know, everyone is on a podcast now. Everyone wants to do a streaming channel. There's all these different things. And ultimately, you're just really trying to build your audience. And there is a competitive nature to it. So you, you have to be multi-platform. I think that's that's what I'm saying. And and having somebody else who carries, uh, I think, in, in really expert fashion, a, a portion of the load um, every day on radio may allow me to have a little bit more energy and focus to do. I mean, I'm also doing an hour podcast every day, just me wow. in addition to this show. And there'll be a podcast of the, of the duo show. And I mean, look, Clay is a radio pro. The guy's got a lot of skills I and mean, he's very smooth. He's very, uh, has a really good broad range of issues he can talk about. And, you know, so, so far, I mean, look, so far, I think it's going to be the best show on radio. I'll just be honest with you. That, that's well, what I really See, the good thing, the good thing in two man radio is you're not going to rely on callers. I mean, you could take callers, but you don't rely on them and you don't rely on guests. And people at this point are kind of, I don't say tired of guests, but it's become formulaic where there's just like a host with a guest, boom, boom, boom. And if you have two man radio and you disagree, 
the tension leads to energy and you know a good tension means good energy and that's good radio i had a partner you know uh, uh, kirk minahan the last few years where we were really good friends off the air we'd have wild fights on the air but no fights off the air because we knew that worked on the rate on on air and when you know what what eases tensions is ratings <laughs> you know good ratings you start making money it's a success you say Hey, this is, you know, this is the job to have some disagreements, butt heads, have some laughs. And once, you know, you're off here, you can be friends. If, if you understand that, and, and someone told me this one time, understand it's only a movie, you know, it's, it's only a movie. If you have a good debate and you know this from Mark Lamont Hill or Crystal, if you have a good debate, you understand you're not really, you know, taking it personally. You're not really enemies. It's just, that's part of the show, man. Yeah, well, this is how I, I approach when I do my radio show. It's also whenever I write something, I, I, I try to go back. There, there are two thoughts, and I tell people who try to do anything in this business, two things that are my, and they're, they're very basic, my guiding principles. Can anyone, you know, number one, can anyone tear this apart? Is what I'm saying dumb, wrong, flimsy, whatever. No, that's number one. And, and I look at things or listen to things that I do, you know, read things or, or, or uh, watch or, or listen to it back, and I think, can someone, can someone make the argument that I'm a jackass for this or that this is, you know, this is dumb and I know that they're right. That's right. what I like. You know, I got to go back and do that. And then the other thing is, is this boring? Are people getting into this listening or, or watching and thinking to themselves, meh. I mean, your point about radio, I think a lot of talk radio now, and I'm not going to name any names, um, a lot of talk radio is lazy. I think a lot of talk radio is, all right, let's have the same guests we've had, you know, 50 times and going to basically repeat what I've already said to you in a monologue that more or less sounds like I'm reading it because I probably am because I you know, have somebody here in the, in the studio who's like writing out some talking points for me. And then we'll take some calls and some of them will be OK and some of them will be boring and crap. And then you know, we'll sell you some stuff and we'll just keep, you know, wash, rinse, repeat every day. I think there's a lot of that out there. And I think one of the reasons why Rush's audience was so fiercely loyal to him was that he always wanted to make it interesting for them, you know? And he, and he, there are a lot of things, not, not a lot of guests, very few guests. True, not a lot right. Of callers, very few callers. Original thought, connection. These are things that people remember. As you, as you well, I mean, look, I know you're a radio pro. I'm just talking about this for the audience's uh, benefit, but these are the things we think about. Well, someone gave me advice, simple advice one time. It says, the job's very simple. Don't be boring. You know, don't be boring. Yeah. And uh, now, you know what's made it worse, Buck, and I've seen this, believe me, in person, is it used to be the guys, the lazy talk show guys, had the callers and the guests, and they had the TV on. And, the, you know, in sports grade, they'd be watching a game or be watching the news. Now they're just looking at Twitter. They're looking at Twitter and doing a show with half their brain. And it's just, I, and to me, it's, it's obvious sometimes you can hear them, you know, <laughs> looking at the Twitter machine while they're supposed to be doing a talk show. The, the two you, things that, that, you know, I, I, I guess you could argue, Jerry, there are three things that are being devalued very rapidly. One is the American dollar. Right. <laughs> so one is the, one is the American dollar. Uh, and, and another one would be insights on news and because they're 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 everywhere and they're everyone's always sharing all their stuff so you can pull it i mean you can go on and this is i know people who make a real habit of this you just go if you've got a good list of, of people you follow on twitter uh you can not even read the main news news stories of the day and just know what your kind of your big takeaways are and then just blab you know blabber on and then the third one is predictions 
So the U.S. dollar analysis and predictions, these are three things that are just everywhere and are being debased because of their abundance. There's, there's so much of it that it's hard to value any of it. And I'll tell you how you can stand out too, is because in, in, in this business and uh, in, in podcasts, especially everyone's preaching to the choir. There aren't a lot of liberals or even moderates who tune into, you know, Ben Shapiro or, uh, or Dan Bongino or Buck Sexton, but on radio, you do get more of that. People who hate listen say, you know, I hate Rush, but I'll listen. Or I, I don't like Buck or, or Clay, but I'm going to listen, hear what they have to say. So you get, I think that's why you get a broader audience and you get a little more, a little more conflict. You might have a caller call up and tell you, you suck. Well, you don't hear that on podcasts at all. It's all, you know, it's no, everyone's gone to their, their respective, you know, safe, safety trees right. or, you know, safe zones or whatever. And, and I think it's really bad in the media. I will say, People ask me why I would have ever gone to work at CNN as a, as a right-wing political analyst. I mean, it was, I've always been conservative. Everyone's always known that. Uh, people knew that even when I was in the CIA and wasn't even a public person. They're like, he's that crazy right-wing guy in the CIA. Really? See, that, that was, oh, yeah, that was – was, Well, I asked you that. Knew me? Yeah. I think when that, we had you last time, when I had you on this podcast last time, we talked about Bill Maher, and I, I always wonder – why do the concern? Why do they go on there? You know, when I see someone like you, and you know, the audience all hates you. They yeah, boo you and everything else. But I, you I, really I, have to relish that role. And, and it's, a, it's a little bit like you know, in some cultures, they have a they have a thing like a like a test of either a test of strength or a test of endurance. They'll run across the hot coals or you know, <laughs> these things where you you prove what you can take. Right. And I, I never want anyone to think I will on things that I'm passionate about. I will debate with anybody. I mean, I, I think that I know enough about what matters to me that I, I can go toe-to-toe with anyone. I'm not going to say that I'll win every out. You know, if you're winning every debate encounter you do, you're either not debating smart enough people or you're not debating <laughs> enough because you're, you know, inevitably, especially with disparities in how much airtime you get and the duration, right? I mean, people will say, oh, why didn't you slam that guy? I'm like, why did I slam him? We did a three-minute TV hit. I got to speak for 30 seconds. If you want me to just start saying that, you know, he's, he's dumb and ugly and his, and his mother doesn't love him. Like, what, what am I supposed, you know, what are you supposed to do at some point? You're trying to make a point. You're trying to, again, bring value to the audience. I worry, and I know I'm getting on a little tangent. I worry that increasingly what's happened in conservative and in liberal media for sure, but in conservative media is that the value we bring is that our audience is always comfortable. Right. And we don't debate. And we don't say things they don't want to hear that we believe to be true. Like, I'm not saying things to be provocative that I think are untrue. But, you know, I'll just give you an example, uh, Jerry. I, I was always a very clear vocal critic of Trump having his children, one of whom was actually a, a friend of mine growing up. I mean, I, I knew her not super well, but we were social, uh, social acquaintances. Um, I was a big critic of it. I said, you can't have your kids as the top White House advisors because it, it, first of all, it looks bad, and also it, uh, it, it means you're not going to be objective, right? right. It's like when a, whenever a parent, you know, I mean, you've all seen this. Do you have kids, Jerry? Yes, I do. Oh, so you actually know about kids. But yeah. I've seen this before. You know, a kid will run up to another kid in the playground and, you know, whack the kid over the head with a, with a pail, and the parent is, you know, why, why did you let your child hit my child's pail with his head? You know, people don't see things objectively, right? Right. That's true. Um, Trump didn't see things in the White House sometimes objectively. And anybody who's telling you, they'll all speak to you about this off the record or they'll speak to you about it without attribution. But they all know that it was true. And I'm just telling you, the conservative audience got mad at me for it. 
And I kept telling them, and there's my own audience, my own people, the people that see me on the street and hug me and are like, thank you for your work. Some of them, not all of them, were, why don't you understand Trump? You know, they, they did a lot of rationalization oh, of this. And I was like, guys, I'm not, I'm not a never Trumper. I'm not one of these, you know, I don't, I don't know what, we're on a podcast, right? I could say whatever I want. I was about to start dropping. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like salty language is acceptable in the Jerry Callahan podcast. It is. Um, you, you, no, go ahead. You, you, could insert, you could insert some of the words for me, but I'm not one of those like Lincoln Project, never Trumper lunatics. <laughs> I'm the guy, I'm trying to be, you know, maybe even like the assistant coach or, you know, the, the special teams coach who's getting the team fired up at halftime because I want them to win the game. That's how I tried to approach some aspects of the Trump presidency. And I got a lot of heat from our team for it, Jerry, and it was disappointing. I'm like, do you guys want the truth? By the way, I was right. I went through the same thing. All right, I still do. When I say I didn't like Trump's tweets, they were stupid. They were juvenile and they didn't help. And I had a couple friends, hardcore Trumpers, listeners, and, it, you know, you got to stop attacking Trump. And I go, attacking Trump? I just don't like, you know, we, when he tweets something about whatever, about, you know, Joy Behar with a bunch of exclamation points and misspellings. That doesn't help. And, and I think, I'm like you, I think I've been proven right. <laughs> the, the dumb tweets, the mean tweets didn't help the cause. But, uh, I will one last uh, uh, thought on your uh, new uh, partner and you. The relationship, the dynamic is, if you get, you know, you really get down and dirty, just point out that he voted for Obama twice. Just bring that up, you know, like twice a day. That you know, oh, to, no, that's no. A good Clay, Clay is my brother in the foxhole, man. Whatever, whatever rounds are said his way, I'm gonna throw my body in the way. That's how. That's how this is gonna go. I don't know, Obama twice. I'm not sure uh, I, I'll ever be able to get my mind around that. Uh, and, and, he, and he, I guess he admits it, right? He's not denying it. If, I, if that were me, I'd deny it. I'd deny it. Every, I'd say I was, I'd be like Hunter Biden. It's all a haze. I mean, I, I was on so many drugs. I don't remember what happened. We'll get to Hunter. I got a couple of uh, questions about that. But you are an intelligence guy, an intelligence community guy, an expert, CIA guy. And I think this is one of your, you know, one of the, the ways these doors, reasons these doors open for oh, you. Yeah. I used to be really squared away. I mean, I honestly, I knew a lot more than all the former defense and CIA right. analysts. There are a lot more now who are actually legit. Like there are some guys who go on Fox. I'm like, that guy's the real deal. When I got into this 10 years ago, I had just come out of the CIA and they had all these guys who were, you know, retired Air Force lieutenant colonels who left in 1992 talking about, you know, Al Qaeda in Northern Iraq or something. And I'm like, well, I just got back from working CTC, CIA, Counterterrorism Center. I don't think your Lieutenant Colonel from the Air Force who hasn't been in any kind of government service in 20 years, CNN, knows what the hell he's talking. So there was a, but now, but to, be, to be clear, now there's like former directors and, you know, everyone's gotten in the game. I was early though. But uh, I, I guess now we're all pretty much convinced that the FBI has been corrupted, the, the CIA, you know, the deep state is real. And our, our mutual friend, John Cardillo, calls the FBI a domestic terrorist organization. I don't think I'm ready to go that far. I don't know about you, but in the last week, we heard Biden and Merrick Garland both say that the FBI says white supremacy is the biggest threat to the homeland, which is obviously silly. Obviously, it's a lie. It's nonsense. My question, simple one. Is Biden and Merrick Garland, are they the ones lying here or are they are they actually being told by the FBI that white supremacy is the biggest threat? Which which is it? Who's lying? They're being told. They're being told. It's real. real? It's real. Yeah, they're being told this. I mean, this is I know I still have friends who are on the inside. And look, there's a lot of the diversity and inclusion of 
you know, left wing woke stuff that has infiltrated the intelligence community that has infiltrated the FBI specifically. Um, that's real. And wow. you have, you have to remember that to go to work for the federal government, especially as a, as a career, uh, you're going to get a lot of people who believe in government power and want it to be bigger than it is, broader than it is. Also, they want the government to provide their, their paycheck and their health care and everything else. And look, I know there are great folks and, and people yell at me, well, what about our military? Look, there are great people who serve. And I'm not saying that there aren't, you know, in, in the intelligence community and, and in the uh, FBI as well. But if you're asking, are there bureaucrats who rise to the top of these institutions who are people of the ideological left? I mean, not only am I telling you the answer is yes, even more so than the public realizes, we've got plenty of proof of it. I mean, John Brennan is basically a commie. I mean, that guy's out of his mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, look at Mike, you look like Mike Morell, a guy that I actually worked for at one point in the agency. These, these guys are libs. They're, they're leftists, and they're running these places. So to say that there are, I mean, I actually use the term cabal in the Trump White House about the FBI uh, deep state stuff, and someone in the Trump White House, very senior in it, was like, we like that term, and I started hearing it a lot afterwards. But that's really the way to consider it. You only need a handful of really devoted leftist authoritarians inside the federal apparatus, a federal bureaucracy, and you find yourself in a place where they're influencing top-down major decisions about some of these political cases. So you but can still have a lot of folks at the lower levels who are, you know, a lot of guys and gals show up to the FBI because, yeah, they want to stop like child molesters and cartel guys and kidnappers and God bless them. But they're doing that in the field office in Omaha or in San Diego or whatever. The people that are running the show in D.C., right. a lot of them are leftists. And I mean I, careerists, not the appointees. I, I know you saw this. I'm sure you talked about it. Uh, uh, Tucker but Tucker. Carlson's segment. Yeah, people, other, people call me Tucker all the time. It happens. <laughs> Tucker Carlson's segment the other night where he said, not only did the FBI infiltrate the mob on January 6th, they organized it. And I'm watching it live going, holy crap, this is a bombshell. Here's my take, Buck. In a year, two years, five years, we're going to look at January 6th a lot different than we did on January 7th or January 10th or even today. We're going to learn a lot more. It's hard to learn because obviously the the mainstream media is covering it up. The Democrats are using it. There's you know two or three reporters who even report on it, like Julie Kelly. Um, but do you believe the FBI actually organized this mob? And if they did, are we ever going to officially learn you know, how that all went down. I think that I, I think it's a little far from what the evidence tell what the evidence that I've seen uh, would say right now to the FBI organized it. I, I don't get so many people. It's tough to keep something like that under wraps this right. long. Were there were there agents, uh, you know, agents provo uh, provocateur or there, were there people who were um, there and and trying to throw fuel on a fire that would have existed independently of them, but, you know, made it worse, knew that this was an opportunity, knew that they, I think that's very likely. In fact, I've seen some, some people present evidence that that happened. Were there FBI informants among the thousand or so people that, you know, engaged in what is essentially for, I mean, look, most of them engaged in riot and trespass. Some engaged in assault of law enforcement officers and destruction of property. No one, none of the protesters murdered anybody. We all know that. And the people uh, in the media and in the Democrat Party keep lying about that. Do I think that there were probably uh, 
agents, FBI, uh, FBI informants, not agents, FBI informants. Informants, right? Yeah, who were, you know, pushing encouraging. I I can tell you, yeah, yeah, that that. Come on, guys. That I, I mean, that doesn't even surprise. Like I would assume that that was happening. Uh, That doesn't surprise me at all. Your advice to someone who organized it. That I think is further than what the you know that the FBI was a prime mover behind this. I don't see that yet. I'm, well, not, I'm a, not saying it can't be, but I don't see the evidence for it. I have a feeling it's going to be a, a major theme of your show going forward. It's just how involved they were and just how much we don't know about that. But January 6th, hell, they haven't, and no one's gone to trial. <laughs> Half these guys are still in solitary. We're not, we're not getting the whole story. And when we do, I'm wondering, it's is just how big it's going to be and how crazy it's going to be. I can tell you that this has been, a tool, a, a, the same way that Russia collusion was a big lie that was right. used to, unfortunately, in many ways successfully slow down, hamper, uh, harass, and delay the Trump administration from its goals. I mean, that White House was under siege by that special counsel. So while they didn't get Trump out of office, they were, and people, again, I tell them the truth. That was all success, folks. I mean, the, the whole Russia collusion lie, who, who got sent to prison for that? Nobody. Buck, what happened? They, they took Trump. the house. They took the house in 2018. I'm not sure they would have done that without the Russian collusion. You know. So, so I, I I'm here to tell everybody that you know, look, they they feel like that was a, a victory, maybe not as far as they wanted, but it was still a victory. The left, no the anti-Trump left, and and now with this January 6th situation, this is the 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 emotional and psychological justification for treating Republicans as evil and worthy of scorn across the board we are all supposed that the narrative here is meant to be that anybody who supported trump and 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 of course still supports trump or trumpism to this day is tainted by the january 6th insurrection which they call it and this is preposterous on its face because i mean if you're gonna have an insurrection in in today's world uh with people who are unarmed um it's not going to last very long right, it's the worst. A, a, a non a non-lethal insurrection in the capital when you have metro police capitol hill police the fbi i mean we could sit here for 30 minutes going through all the armed government agents who can and, and in many cases did show up there to clear things out so it, it's absurd but they're going to use it because uh you and i jerry we are we are bad people in the eyes of libs because we're, you know, this, they'll they'll use the term insurrectionist now as a general pejorative, which is why I love calling them commies. Because I'm like, fine, if we're going to do this, if we're just going to let it rip, let's let it rip. You guys are a right. bunch of commies. It's uh, you know, the first unarmed, armed, unarmed, armed, armed insurrection in history. And uh, you're right. I mean, think of everything worked. The two two uh, 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 impeachments they worked. You know, the Kavanaugh that worked. I mean, it just inflicted enough damage so that they could advance their agenda. But a couple more things before uh, I know you got to go. You got to prep for Monday. Um, the trip for Biden that just com- just completed it was by, uh, a disaster by all accounts. And one thing it did for me, and we talked about things we have said and done that piss off the MAGA crowd. I'm watching that and saying we can't have another 78 year old president. I don't want Donald J. Trump in 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 four years i don't i don't want another 78 80 82 year old president it's, it's old. too old i'm i don't know that the left has no principles jerry I, I still think that they're important and when you establish something a baseline of some of a, of a straightforward uh rule guideline truth whatever you want to call it like we really shouldn't have an 80 year old plus president 
period. Shouldn't happen. There's a country of 330 million people. There's a lot of folks out there who can do this job. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to change on that because, oh, well, Trump, there are other people in the Republican party who are already showing that they're very capable of governing. Well, not, not just, and looks, I, I see Jerry, you and I just, I thought some of the tweets were hilarious. I think there were too many. I think you should have reined some of them in, but I did like some of the tweets. So you and I could, we can come back and, and, uh, and battle that out another time. But on this point, yeah, it's just reality, man. The 78 too old to be president, whether it's a Republican and I don't care, or, and by the way, he'd be 80 while he was in office. Joe Biden's too old to be president. Democrats have no principles, so they're not embarrassed by this. It's just a power play for them. And they figure, well, this is great because now we have some guy who'll just do whatever the machinery of the Democrat Party wants, but he's too old. And we and, all and, see it. I mean, you can't deliver mail. You can't teach kids. You can't drive a truck, but you can be president. It's just madness. What date? Give me the date that Kamala Harris ascends to the throne. When do you think it happens? Oh, I've been. T- see, but see, now we're falling into uh, there's a lot of speculation, too much speculation out there. But no, this this is informed speculation, Jerry. Um, I, I think that uh, I don't think Joe Biden runs for a second term. I think he takes it through the midterms. And then I think he just says, you know, I've gotten tired and um, for health reasons, I'm going to step down. Kamala takes over. Then she gets to run as an incumbent. <laughs> way better. Way better. Man, you're going to have a blast. What? Uh, and so am I. Just Kamala Harris as commander in chief, this woman who can't handle, you know, a simple question from, you know, one of her supporters, Lester Holt, about the border. And she can't handle that. A woman who wasn't popular enough to make it to the primaries, to, to, to even participate in the first primary. She was that unpopular. She was trailing Liz Warren among black voters in the polls. You don't get less popular Maybe. than that. And she's going to be president. But uh, right, before I let you go, I got to show you. You asked me if I have kids and I'm looking around. See, see this right here. This is uh, drawn by my son when he was a little kid. That's me and him and, a, and Jack in a kayak when he was a little kid. I'm selling this for 500000 An art dealer nice. is uh, putting that up for sale in California. I mean, in New York. What do you think? Good enough for Hunter better Biden. better than anything. Hey, way better than whatever Hunter did. <laughs> That's better than Hunter Biden's things. I couldn't believe when I heard, and you know this, but you see the video. He blows this thing through a straw. That You can't make that up. I mean, that's just so unbelievable. He blows paint around. Hunter's blown a lot of things through a straw. <laughs> <laughs> does, he, does he know not, that we're... Not, not uh, you know, in, into his nostrils, I believe, but yes. No, no you more. are in New York. Why don't you go by that, that gallery and check it out and make a bid? I, I mean, maybe I'll... Hey, when's... Uh, we got Father's Day coming up, Jerry. Maybe I'll send you something nice. You behave That's yourself. That's a good stunt. Uh, Buck, Buck Sexton bids on uh, Hunter Biden's... Uh, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure you have... I don't to have the bankroll for it, man. I haven't started the big show yet. You have to yeah. lend me some money. Are you, you know, one of these people who says, like I hear uh, people like Matt Walsh and others say, you know, don't get distracted by Hunter Biden. It's not important. I'm like, what? I mean, literally, we have, as you know, Tony Bobolinsky talking about kicking back to the big guy and you don't want to to talk about it. That's crazy. And and you you're going to be consistent because you said Ivanka and, and Kushner should not be in the in the White House. I mean, I assume you are going to talk plenty about hunter because as you know there's a lot more on that laptop that we haven't seen or heard yet my friends are the ones who found the laptop let me tell you i was getting uh, early previews and those are things you can't unsee are you with hannity on this because i've heard him and others including miranda divine say there's a lot more and it gets worse are you yeah but it doesn't it's not it doesn't get worse in a way that it blows back on on pops and creates a problem for him it's i mean and look by the way i'm not an expert on the hard drive i don't have it i mean i know i have friends who have the hard drive um 
but I, I don't have it, um, or they have a mirror of it, I should say. Uh, but no, I, I haven't seen anything. Remember, it has to be has to be political corruption. It has to be big enough that it goes. If it's just him being more of a screw up, yeah, we'll talk about it. But it doesn't it doesn't uh, move the needle but, against the big against the big. It does move the needle against the media, as Clay has yeah, well, been tweeted. It's amazing. The New York Times has a 15-year-old girl on page one because she said the same word as Hunter, and they don't get a mention. He doesn't get a mention in the New York Times. So it's always good to point out how corrupt the media is. Wouldn't you agree? I agree. Would you Would you do me a favor? Because you have a very uh, esteemed and and astute audience. Tell them that. Uh, tell them that if they're if they had been rushed listeners, they got to give us a shot. Twelve to three. Okay. Excellent. Twelve to three. My, what the show's called? Do I have this right? The Clay Travis and Buck Sexton show. I it think that fun. reflects that reflects well on you, Buck, because I was always the second name. You know why? Because I don't have such a big ego that I demanded to be the first name. Now we know you didn't do that, so I give you credit. He's humble, but he's focused uh, on my content, folks. I make it worth everybody's time. Good luck Monday and going forward, Buck. We will be listening. Thank you, my friend, and, uh, and we'll talk to you down the road. Finding suitable mental health medications can be a challenge. The GeneSight test may help. Did you know that genetics can play an important role in gaining insight on how a person may respond to various medications? Understanding this may help reduce medication trial and error. GeneSight is a genetic test that analyzes variations in DNA. It shows how genes may affect someone's metabolism or response to medications commonly prescribed to treat depression, anxiety, and other mental health conditions. Visit GeneSight.com for more information.